Well, good morning, faith family. Hey, it's good to see you. If you got a Bible, go to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is going to be our passage this morning. Uh, we are putting together, we're going old school this summer, and we're putting together a mixed tape, a compilation of songs that we can sing in uh, all different kinds of seasons of life. That's exactly what the book of Psalms is all about. It's a book where God's people would have a collection of songs that they would sing, and that it really expresses a lot of the different things that we face. And so this morning, we're going to add Psalm 2 to our mixtape. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand to do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. It's our uh, weekly reminder. I am absolutely convinced with every ounce of my being that this is the Word of God. Absolutely certain of it. And we stand in honor of it. Here's what it says to us this morning. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision and he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, to the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I do ask this morning that you would invade this place, invade our hearts, invade our lives, Holy Spirit. Expose to us who really is king of our life. And may we leave today singing Psalm 2, recognizing your sovereignty and your reign, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Jamie had a tattoo of a cross on his leg. He also had another cross that he had hanging above his bed. And that normally wouldn't seem all that controversial except that his crosses were all upside down. In fact, the cross that was inked in Jamie's left leg formed the T in the word Satan. Jamie, this 30-year-old factory worker, this man from Indiana, was a Satanist. And according to the Chicago Tribune, those upside-down crosses became the focus of a custody battle as Jamie was fighting for custody over his children. 
His ex-wives were saying, we want our children to grow up around positive influences, and that's very difficult to do when on the weekend they have to go be with someone who worships the devil. Jamie insisted, however, that he did not worship the devil. In fact, he said, I don't even believe in a devil. And he called on some of the leaders in the church of Satan to bear witness to that at his hearing. Here's what one of the witnesses said. It's fascinating. Satanism is the world's first carnal religion. It doesn't have anything to do with a real devil. Satanists aren't devil worshipers. We simply see Satan as a symbol of pride, liberty, and individualism. The upside-down cross simply represents our belief in the opposite of humility. Now, I completely disagree with them on the existence of Satan. There is no denying, biblically, Satan is a real being. But you would be hard-pressed to find a better, even biblical definition of Satanism. Often when you and I think about Satanism... Hopefully we don't think about it too often, right? It's kind of awkward. Some of you are like, is he talking about Satanism, right? Just throw that out at a party. I got a great idea. Let's talk about Satan. <laughs> Let's not. Now, why do we so often have that reaction? Because it's because when we think of Satanism, we think of 666 tattoos and blood and, and glowing eyes. It's something out of a horror film. But that's not how the Bible talks about Satanism. Satanism, according to the Bible, right here, faith family, is misplaced sovereignty. Satanism, according to the Bible, is misplaced sovereignty. Here's what I mean. Satanism is that, it's that longing to exalt oneself. It's that longing to be in control of my life. It is that longing, even though we might not say it this way, if only I could be in the place of God. It's an upside down cross. And that's exactly how Psalm 2 starts. Did you hear it? Nations are raging. People are plotting. The kings of the earth set themselves. These rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed one. Why? Verse 3. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Why do these people plot? Why do these nations rage? The answer is this. They want control for themselves. They don't want to be ruled. They want to rule. 
Now, in the context of this psalm, this psalm was used as the installment of the Davidic king. And the context is speaking about the idea of how the other nations rise up against God and his people, but we would be mistaken to think that that's only true of political leaders. This desire for control, this desire to be able to rule, dear friends, that's the desire of every human heart. I'm not talking to a group of people who want to rule nations, but I am talking to a group of people this morning who would love to run their own lives. You know why I know that? Because all I've got to do is look in the mirror to see that. This desire of wanting to be in control and king of my circumstances. It is why so many of us, um, for instance, we live in a culture that wants to determine what's right for me and what's wrong for me, and you don't have any right to tell me. What is that? I'm king of me. I'm king. I set my own rules. I live according to my own standards. It's why some people love to own their own business, because I don't have a boss. I'm my own boss. I have to report to anybody. It's why some of us rebel against our parents. I mean, none of you. You you are perfect children, right? But we rebel against our parents. And why do we rebel against our parents? Because after all, parents just don't understand, right? Right? I'm not done with my 90s references yet, all right? (laughs) I mean, all of us have done that. And not only that, all of us have that feeling like that kid on a roller coaster. You know, when when you tip the top of the roller coaster and you start going down and you've got that feeling like, I'm not in control anymore. Like, there's nothing I can do to stop it now. I can't stop the aging. I can't bring my husband back. I can't repair the marriage. I can't solve my financial situation. I can't change my health. I have no control over whether or not the interview, they'll call me back. And that feeling like we hit the black ice of life, that feeling that it's out of control and we think, if only I were God. We don't say it that way, but that's precisely the temptation of the heart in that moment, and it's what's happening here. The nations are raging, the people are plotting because they want to burst away the bonds and cast away the cords so that they're free, they're autonomous, they're their own king. And this desire of Psalm 2 that we see in these first few verses, friends, it's everywhere in the Bible, isn't it? From cover to cover. What was the fall of Satan? Do you remember that? Satan looks at the throne of God and thinks, I could do that. I could probably do a better job. I want to be God. How does the Bible open with Adam and Eve? Don't tell us what to eat. We'll eat what we want to eat. What about the Tower of Babel? Why does it crumble? We're going to build a tower that makes a name for ourselves. What about Jonah? You thought you were through with Jonah? No, 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 not so fast. It always comes back to Jonah. 
Jonah's response, you better know by now, was what? God tells me to go this direction. I'm going to go this direction. Why? I'm ruler of my own life. Come to the New Testament. The rich young ruler, what's his response? Give up everything? Jesus, you must be crazy. Ain't no way I'm giving up everything to follow you. The Pharisees. This guy speaks with one of authority, and that's threatening our authority. What do you say we kill him? And all the way to the very end of the Bible in Revelation 18, the city of Babylon, the city of man that stands in opposition to the city of God, why does it fall? Because the Bible says, and she glorified herself. Right here. Stamped on every heart in this room, to coin a phrase, is a declaration of independence. Why do we rage? It's because we want to strip the cords away and be king. One of my favorite theologians in church history, a man by the name of Tom Petty. It's like 13th, 14th century, writes, it's good to be king, to have your own way, to get a feeling of peace at the end of the day. It's good to be king if just for a while, to be there in velvet, to give him a smile. Yeah, the world would swing if I were king. Can I help it if I still dream time to time? It's precisely why the nations rage. We want autonomy. And what is God's response to this? I think I can rule my own life. I think I can be God. I think I can make better decisions. God's response, verse 4, is this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Now you just think about that for a moment. God looks at us saying, I think I would be better if I were in control of my life, and he laughs. It is proof all the more that there is a spiritual gift of sarcasm. <laughs> That's my chapter and verse right there. Because I have that spiritual gift, and so do some of you. God laughs. And why does God laugh? Because he sees our attempt at sovereignty as absolutely no threat to his. None whatsoever. God's response is, oh my goodness, look how many of them there are. I'm so nervous and, uh, and they're so powerful with their muscles and, and they work out at the gym and they drink muscle milk and I mean, I'm so afraid. I told you I had the spiritual gift of sarcasm. No, God looks at us and he laughs. It's pretty sad to think about our life being a joke before God. As I thought about this, I could not, I could not get out of my mind that image in Night at the Museum. You remember that movie, you know, where everything comes to life after 
at, at dark and all the animals are coming to life and all the people are coming to life. Do you remember that scene where Ben Stiller's character, he's the security guard, where all the little people, remember, all the little people, they try to capture him and they try to take control. Here's how it turned out. That's the imagery of Psalm 2, isn't it? All these nations and all these different people, they're trying to rise up, and yet God so easily breaks the cords. It's laughable. It's laughable. Listen, you may love a good comeback story. You may cheer for the underdog in sports. But when it comes to the sovereign reign of God... The idea that you can outthink him, outmaneuver him, somehow gain control over him is a cosmic joke to which all of heaven laughs. That'll put us in our place, won't it? This desire for control, why the nations rage, is met with a God who laughs. And that ought to cause us to react in two ways. We see a glimpse of it at the last phrase of verse 11. It talks about rejoice with trembling. You notice, for instance, in verse 5, he talks about he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. There are two responses that we ought to have to this idea that we are absolutely no threat whatsoever to God's sovereignty. It is this, these two things. Number one, the sovereignty of God is a threat to your life. The sovereignty of God is a threat. Rejoice with trembling. Why is God's sovereignty a threat to your life? Right here, faith family, because if you come to God, he's going to change the way you live. He's going to change the way you think. He's going to change what you value. Do you know why? Because if you come to God, you're not king anymore. You never really were. And it's why when we pray things like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, what are we saying? I want a regime change in my life. There's a sense where this is a divine threat to puny little kings who think they can rip the cords of his power away. But is, not only is it a threat, it's also a comfort. It's what Jonathan Edwards calls sweet sovereignty, all eyes, all ears right here. Here's what seeing a God who laughs at all this can do for us. It brings us comfort. It means this, no matter what's going on in the culture, no matter what's going on in Washington, no matter what's going on in the other nations, no matter what's going on in my job, no matter what's going on in my family, it may be chaotic in life, but it's calm in heaven. You with me? It may be chaotic in life, but it's calm in heaven. God does not see this threat as anything whatsoever, as something that can overthrow his sovereign reign. And we can take comfort in that. So now the psalm leaves us here. Here's the tension. We all want autonomy. We all want control. We all want to be kings. But God laughs at that idea. And so if we ended right here and God's going to pour out wrath on that, he's going to judge that, there's a threat to that. And if the psalm ended right there, that'd be miserable. 
But what God does for his people, and this was very common in the ancient Near East, is given all the chaos, given all the confusion, God give us a promise for us to look to. Like, is there any hope whatsoever then? If I can't be king of my life, then what's the hope of my life? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God does in this psalm what would have been very common for the people of God in these days, and that's this. Your hope, nation of Israel, remember the context? It's used for the installation of a king. In other words, your hope your only hope is to look to my anointed king. The son. Well, what's a son? A son in the ancient Near East is the one who does what their father does. In other words, I'm going to give you a king. He's going to be the exact representation of me, and all your hope will be in him. You don't, you don't have to be king anymore because I'm going to give you a king. Do you see? And you say, well, who is that king? This echoes of language in 2 Samuel 7. Listen to this. David comes to God and he says, I got a great idea. I'll build for you a temple. And God says, eh, I got a better idea. I'll build you a kingdom. And this is what he says. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and you shall, it shall, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In other words, don't, don't lose me. I, I'm going to take you on a little journey here and then make the big point of Psalm 2. It's this. You're going to put your hope in a king. The idea that you can run your life is laughable. So I'm going to give you, because you need hope then, I'm going to give you a king. David, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to build a line, a lineage from you, and that kingdom will be an eternal kingdom. It starts with Solomon, but here's the problem. And if you've been around church for very long, you, you may know this. You start reading through the Old Testament, and these kings are terrible. I mean, they're really, really bad. You think American politics is frustrating at times. I mean, this will make your stomach upset. It's so much evil with these kings. So a king rises and falls and rises and falls and rises and falls and rises and falls and rises and falls. And the people of God are saying, where's the king? Where's the hope? In Psalm 2, you promised us victory that would come through a king. Where is he? Some of you are way ahead of me. Who does the New Testament speak of in Psalm 2 language? Sunday school answer? 
Jesus. That's exactly right. Listen to just a few scriptures here. For instance, at Jesus' baptism, Matthew chapter 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. That's anointing language. And behold, a voice from heaven said, "Uh uh-oh, this is my beloved Son, Psalm 2 language, with whom I am well pleased. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, when he's preaching, here's what he says. This is Acts 13, 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to our fathers, that is David, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, how? By raising Jesus, as also it is written, you're kidding me, in the second psalm, (laughs) you are my son, today I have begotten you. And I wonder if Jesus ever referred to himself as the son. Go read all of John chapter 5. I'm going to give you one verse. It's what hacked everybody off. John chapter 5, verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. You say, what's all that Bible for? It's this point. Do you want to know what the promise of hope is for your life? It's not you being your king. It's surrendering to Jesus the king. The hope of the people of God in the midst of chaos was look to this king. And who is that king? His name is Jesus Christ. He is the one who is given the name that is above every name and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? He is the one, 1 John, who destroyed the works of the devil. He is the one, Ephesians 4, who ascended on high and took captives. He is the one who is given all authority that is in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28. And he is the one who's going to return. And he's going to put every enemy under his feet. Do you need hope? Stop looking in the mirror and thinking you can run your life. That's the devil talking. Look to the promised King, Jesus Christ, as your hope and promise of victory in this world. So then what do we do? If the, if, if the text is flowing like this, we all want to be in control. That's laughable. It's almost like this is probably heresy, but don't fire me over it. It's almost that Jesus is coming to God and saying, did you hear about the one where the Assyrian king and the U.S. president and the, the, the leader of Iran all thought they could rule the world? <laughs> That's a good one. It's a laughable idea that we think we can rule on our own. So then where's our hope? It's in this son. Then what must we do? And that's how the psalm ends. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings... Let's take this from the big picture to our world. We're not talking about kings of nations. We're talking about kings of our own lives. Wise up. Be wise. 
right here, right here, right here. Would you, would you, would you wake up to reality for just a moment right now? Be wise. Use your brain and be warned. That is, take what I'm saying seriously. This isn't a joke. Sing Psalm 2. How? Two ways. Number one, if you're going to sing Psalm 2, if it's going to be on your mixtape, you're going to have to surrender. Notice what it says. Verse 12. Kiss the sun. Kiss the sun. You've watched enough movies to know this, that when a king conquered another king, the king that was conquered would have to bend down and kiss the feet or kiss the ring of the conquering king. Why? It is an act of surrender, an act of submission, and you are not a Christian until you have surrendered to King Jesus. Repentance and faith, that is turning from your sin, turning from being king of your life, and putting faith in Jesus as king of your life, those acts are acts of surrender. Because Jesus isn't interested in being your life coach. He is interested in being your eternal king. So if you want to sing Psalm 2, hear the gospel this morning. There is a king. His name is Jesus. Every one of us in this room has committed acts of treason against him. But if you will lay down your weapons and give up your territories and stop fighting against him, do you know what he will do? He won't banish you. He'll receive you into his kingdom. It's interesting that as I'm preparing for this, on Friday I get this email. Not coincidence, but providential. The email reads, My family and I started coming to your Sunday service last spring. Up until then, we'd never gone to church before as a family except weddings and the occasional baptism. Growing up, I never heard a lot about God or Jesus or the Bible or much about religion, but now that I'm an adult, I'm finally doing something about that. This past spring, I celebrated my first Easter Sunday service, and it was amazing. That was the day I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Amen. Yes! Amen! Oh, it, it, it gets gooder. A whole... A hole that had been in my heart began to fill up. You had mentioned me and reached out to me at several of your services because I'm that person who was lost. I'm that person who wasn't sure where they were going. I'm that person who desperately needed Jesus. Surrender. Kiss the sun. It is laughable throughout all of the universe that you could run your life, stop raging and kiss the sun. Surrender 
in every way to him this morning. He will receive you. The second and final way that we sing Psalm 2, that we respond to it, it's not just we sing it by surrendering. Oh, God, I'm convinced there are some people that need this this morning. We sing this song by trusting. Notice how the psalm ends. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I'll I'll give it to you as simply as I can give it to you right here. Because I don't know what you brought in with you this morning. I don't know what's going on in your marriage. I don't know what's going on in your workplace. I, I, I don't know all the details of everybody's life in this room. But I know this. If Jesus is king of your life, you're going to have to trust him with your life. If Jesus is king of your life, you're going to have to trust him with your life. You say, no, no, pastor, you don't understand. I mean, if that were true, I mean, listen, my life has been scripted in a way that I would never be in in the kind of circumstances that that I shouldn't be in right now. And I say, yeah, if you were writing Jesus' story, we would have bypassed the crucifixion. You're going to have to trust If you believe, as you should, that he is the sovereign king, then what you do is not fight against him. You take refuge in him. J.I. Packer gives a very interesting story about a train yard in York, England, where there's all these different trains coming and going on this track, off that track. He's like, it's all the time madness, like a Grand Central Station kind of feel. And he said, in that yard, this is so good, is a control tower. In that control tower is an electrical board with all of the map of the train yard. In the tower, it all makes sense. When you're standing down on the track, it doesn't make sense at all. The problem is, all of us want to be in the control tower. But you're not king. So you're going to have to trust. I'm going to show you an example of this and close. In the Bible where Christians put Psalm 2 on their iPod. And they pulled it out and they sang the song in a time of difficulty where they had to trust him. Do you remember a few weeks ago when I told you about in the book of Acts where the apostles were being persecuted for their faith? And, and life is very uncertain. They don't understand what tomorrow is going to hold. It is a very unsettling time. And notice what they do. This is awesome. Notice what they do in Acts 4, verse 23, and then we'll wrap it up. And when they were released, that is from prison, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, uh-oh, They lifted up their voices. In other words, they sang a song. And what was that song that they sang? 
Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed? They sang Psalm 2 in the midst of chaos. They found calm by taking refuge in him. They sang a song. Can you? Do you need to sing that song today of surrendering to God and taking comfort and refuge in him? Because here's what I know. Every one of us in this room is going to be tempted even today and all throughout this week with misplaced sovereignty. A temptation to exalt self instead of submitting to God. Do you know why I know that that's at the very core of temptation for you? Because in Matthew 4, Jesus is taken out into the wilderness and he's tempted. And what is Jesus tempted with? Satanism. Look at all these kingdoms. Think about how much power you could have. Oh, Jesus, the authority that could be yours if you just take it through me instead of receiving it through a cross. And praise God, Jesus looked Satan in the face, and he said, you shall serve the Lord your God. He was tempted with the exact same thing we are tempted with, pride, liberty, individualism. But praise God that Jesus, unlike Jamie, did not turn his cross upside down. Let's pray. Father, call us to surrender this morning. There are some in this room, they need to surrender to a Savior, a Savior and Lord. They are, like we read in that email, they are one this morning that needs to come by faith and accept you as king, to stop running their own direction and running their own life and to trust you as Savior. There are others that need to rededicate their life. There are some who just simply need to take refuge in, in you this morning because life is chaotic, the nations are raging, the workplace is plotting, the family is in chaos, and they just need to say, God, Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my hope. And I'm going to take refuge in him this morning that he would bring calm in my life. Holy Spirit, would you do that work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.